Father God, we come before you tonight, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior God. You said, if you ask anything in my name, it shall be done to them by my Father in heaven. And Lord, we're, we're praying and asking and believing, God. We know that you're against abortion, Lord God. Those are lives that are aborted, that are created, that you created in your own image. Father, I pray you would forgive us. Of, that's one of many sins. Our sins and iniquities have gone over our head, like Isaiah says. And Lord, we pray that you'd have mercy upon us, God, that you would turn us to you as a nation, that you'd bring revival, that you would do a work in the churches in America, bringing the churches to repentance, God, for worldliness and compromise, Lord God, and hypocrite, hypocritical uh, lives that we've lived, God. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would help us, God. I pray you'd help us to pray. It has nothing to do with our personality or where are we outgoing or anything like that. Teach us to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Teach us to share and help us by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with those that don't know you, Lord. And, Lord, help us to be salt and light in this hour. I pray you protect these Supreme Court justices that are seeking to do what's right. I pray that you would cause them to do what's right and give them great courage and boldness. I pray you protect them and their families, God. I pray you'd have mercy upon them. I pray you'd have mercy upon us, O oh God. And, Lord, I thank you for what was passed by our state legislature here, God, and uh, for our public schools and the curriculum, Lord God. We thank you. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. That is a specific answered prayer and a blessing. And we thank you for it, God. And, Lord, speak to us tonight through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all, it's good to see you here tonight. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to Philippians chapter 3. We're doing a verse-by-verse study, and we're going to finish up chapter 3 tonight. It's been a wonderful study. There's one more chapter after this, and uh, we've spent a lot of time, especially in chapters 2 and 3, but it's worth it. There's a lot of good things that God has for us here. I want you to read with me in verses 20 and 21. And this is all we're going to talk about tonight. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working where, whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. And so we're going to talk about this just tonight. It's a hopeful thing. It's a glorious thing. It's an exciting thing that we as believers have a, the privilege to be partakers of and will partake of one day. Amen. We might go through a lot of suffering and things like this in this life, and yet there, the future that awaits us is beyond compare. The Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him, but the Spirit has revealed them. Amen? The Spirit of God is able to take those things and impart them to our hearts and reveal them to our spirit to where we know. Even though we haven't seen, we know. We believe. Amen? And in the previous verses, we're not going to really do so much of a review, but especially like uh, 17, 18, and 19, Paul was saying, you have godly examples to follow in Christ, follow them. 
there are people that are not the examples that you should follow, even though they say they're in Christ and they may walk among you in your church services. He says their God is their bellies, their enemies of the cross. There are people like that, okay? Some people are just lost and don't know any better, and they might get saved. Some people are saved and they're immature and they need to grow and be discipled. But some people are, are enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the cross. That they're, they're of another spirit. Their God is their belly, and that literally meant like their worldly passions and lusts. They were just seeking to fulfill those things. And it says they mind earthly things at the end of verse 19. Don't follow those is all he's saying. There are those kind of there are those kind of people. There have always been those kinds of people that masquerade as though they're followers of Christ and they're not. Some point it is made manifest that they're not. Don't follow them. Okay? Don't follow them. You have enough good examples in Christ to follow and above all those examples we have Christ to follow. Amen. And so I did the last um, Parkview Bible study of the year today, uh, Wednesday. You know, we do it every Wednesday at lunchtime, and uh, I don't even know if it's the 11th year or how many years I've been doing it, but uh, I, I just said, Lord, what would you have for me for this last time? You know, I won't see these guys until till next year, the, the ones that are juniors, and most of the guys that come are juniors, praise God. But I said, we'll talk to them about looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, that you have a race that's set before you, and you are to run that race with patience, laying sinful things aside and looking unto Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. We don't look at this example that's not of God. Well, they're a Christian and they, they go to R-rated movies. They're a Christian and they, they drink and they're a Christian and they do this. And we those are not our examples. Christ is our example. Anybody that would be like-minded that walks, not nobody's perfect except Jesus, but that walks pursuing after the Lord the way this word says so. And when they sin, they're going to God asking, they're not excusing it. They're saying, God, forgive me. That's the ones we can follow. All, all of us in this room sin, but we can ask God to forgive us. We don't excuse it and say, I'm justified in my sin. We say, God, forgive me for my sin. Amen. And that's an example, too, to follow. So what are we talking about tonight? Our conversation, it's the only time in the whole New Testament that word is used. Now, the word conversation is used, but it's a different word, like in 1 Peter where, where uh, Peter says, as, as he who's called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word is used several times in the New Testament, and it speaks about our conduct or behavior. God is holy. You be holy in your behavior and conduct like he is. Well, it's only possible, first, if you're saved, and second, if you're being empowered and led by the Spirit at any given moment. But it is possible, amen? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But this word conversation here is different, where he says, it's the only time in the New Testament, our conversation is in heaven. What does he mean? That word conversation means it's our citizenship. Our citizenship is pretty interesting. When I, I'm going to read the whole definition. Our citizenship, uh, our city, our civil rights, our state, our society, our government is in heaven. Well, I'm, I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I'm walking around in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Yes, but our citizenship, if you're born of the Spirit of God, if you just got born again today or you've been born again for 50 years, our conversation, our citizenship, our city, our civil rights, our government is in heaven. 
That's ours. One, one scholar said we, we're actually a colony of heaven. We're here on this earth, but we're a little colony of heaven. The church of Jesus Christ is that. And so with that, he says, for our conversation is in heaven. He does. It's interesting. He doesn't say one day it will be in heaven. I know one day we're going to heaven. But he says our conversation is current tense, presently in heaven right now. And that is our citizenship, our government is, is in heaven now. We're, we're citizens of heaven now while we're still on the earth. And don't forget it. We say the Bible says it and I say it oftentimes that we're strangers and pilgrims. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're strangers in the sense that we're aliens. We're not from here. We're pilgrims in the sense that it's, we're temporarily here. We're both. We're strangers. We're not from here. We're born of the Spirit of God. We're of God. And we're pilgrims in the sense we're passing through. We're temporarily here. This world is not our home. So if we don't have the best of everything in this life, it's okay. We're going to have the best of everything that God wants us to have here. And then we get to heaven, we'll have so much better that it can't be put <coughs> into words. Amen. But we're citizens of heaven now. Our God is not our belly. We're not minding earthly things. We're not enemies of the cross. We might not be perfect, but we're perfectly committed to Christ. And we're not enemies of the cross like we talked about last week. We're citizens of heaven. Amen. And so we're being, uh, we're thinking about things above. We're focused on him who's going to come from above, the Lord Jesus. We're governed by the laws of heaven and by the word of God which this world is not governed by and has no interest in at all, Jesus is the head of that government. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. Amen. And he is the head of this heavenly government. Our, sit our conversation is in heaven. That means our government and that head of that government is Christ the Lord. Amen. And so we're thinking about these things and we're to look with expectation. We're not looking with fear and trembling the Bible says looking for his appearing, looking for his coming. It says from whence also we look for the Savior. Verse 20, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just all very straightforward, but we're looking with expectation. We're looking with joy. We're wanting him to come and we want him to come quickly. We want this to happen. We want Christ to come for his people and to rapture them and, and that we'll be with the Lord. And so it's, it's a looking with a hope that it is founded, that his word says he's going to come, he keeps his promises, and we're looking with a hope and a joy. Oh, Lord, we're ready. Lord, we're ready. Come on, Lord, we're ready for you to come now. Okay, but while we're strangers and pilgrims, and while we're temporarily on this earth, we're to be doing something. We're to be serving the Lord. We're to be pursuing after Christ. We're not twiddling our thumbs. We're not just going with the flow of the world. We haven't put our Christianity on autopilot on the shelf somewhere, and then we do dove into living like the world. We're to be living for Christ till he comes. We're to be occupying until he comes. We're to be winning souls for him as he enables us, and he has by his gospel until he comes. All Every second of that time is to be used for his glory. Our names are written in heaven. We're under heaven's government. We have heaven's glory. We enjoy heaven's honor, and we should have heavenly conduct. Amen? Heavenly conduct in how we live and act. Turn with me. I'm gonna, we're going to flip quickly to, to several scriptures tonight. 
So just stay with me. But look at Titus. Titus chapter 2. This event, by the way, what the Paul is talking about, where we, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the, the Savior, okay, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look for his appearing. It's very, very important, and we can get way off on our doctrine. Believe it or not, you get off on, you know, if you're going on a million, a thousand-mile journey, and you get off a little bit at the beginning, you're supposed to be going due north, but you're going a little north-northwest. Over a thousand miles, you're going to be way off, right? So if you get off on something like the rapture and the second coming, and, oh, it's the same thing, or, or we're, we're, you're going to end up way off on a lot of other things. God's plan for Israel. God's plan for the church, the millennial reign. Is it figure of speech or is it a really a thousand years? You're going to get off on a lot of things, and people do. It's not, it doesn't have to be complicated, okay? But let's look at this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly when? When we get to heaven? No, in this present world. So if somebody says, well, I'm all about grace, I'm all, well, I am too. But the grace of God teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God doesn't mean you do what you want and you say, it's okay. I'm not legalistic. I can live how I want because I'm under grace, not the law. Well, none of us are under the law. Nobody, not one soul has ever been saved by the law. There's not one. So if you're born again, you've been born again by the grace of God. If you're saved, you're saved by the grace of God. And if you're walking uprightly before the Lord, you're walking in the grace of God. Okay? So, but in, there's not a period there when it tells us how to live righteously in this present world, looking for that blessed hope <coughs> and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What am just one simple point here that's important? Just I've said it a thousand times. Different people that have taught Sunday school have said it. But just know <coughs> that the rapture and the second coming are two separate events. It doesn't matter what's popular today in theology. It doesn't matter, you know, what this world famous preacher over here says or this book says. They're two different events. They, there's no way that they line up. If you look at them and say his appearing. His glorious appearing, we're looking for that. That's not the second coming. The second coming, the believers are going to be following the Lord. He's on a white horse. The second coming cannot happen at any moment. The second coming uh, has to happen at a very, it's a very specific day to the day. It's exactly seven years and exactly three and a half years after Antichrist sets himself up as God in Jerusalem and declares himself to be God. To the day the Lord is coming back at the end of that seven-year period, the end of that last three-and-a-half-year period, on a white horse, and he has a name written on his thigh and vesture, and his name is the Word of God, and, and he's, and he's going to come back into the Battle of Armageddon. It's very detailed, very specific. The rapture, he doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the cloud, and it's only for a few people, not few, it's only for a, a certain class of people, and that's people that are born again. The newest convert, the oldest saint, if they're under, under the blood of Jesus, we're going in the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We that are alive and remain are going to be caught up with them together in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. 
They're two different events. One, he's coming back with his saints. But before that, the saints are going up to meet him in the air. Everybody's not going to see. Every eye is not going to behold. But it says in Revelation chapter 1, every eye shall behold him when he comes back. Lost people are going to see him. You know, those that have given their life to Christ, the, the Jews, everybody's going to see him. Antichrist, all of Antichrist armies, every eye is going to behold when he comes back at the second coming. No eye is going to behold at the rapture. We're caught up to the Lord in the clouds and will ever be with the Lord. And it's only those that are saved, truly saved. Not those that call themselves Christians but aren't. Not those that are perfect, but all that are in, under the blood. Some through the fire, some through the flood, some through the water, but all through the blood. Amen. He's coming for all of us that are saved. And so turn with me. We look for his appearance as the rapture. So when you see these, these words used, his appearing, his glorious appearing, his coming. His coming could be the second coming or the rapture. But usually the, when it says his appearing, it's talking about he's going to appear in the clouds and we're going to go up there and meet him. It's not his coming on a horse where every eye beholds him. Two different events separated by at least seven years. I think it's probably going to be seven years, but it's at least seven years, okay? And look, at, look with me. So the, the scoffers scoff and the mockers mock. And let's look at First Peter, Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to flip real quickly. Second Peter 3, 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's not true. They're making a false statement. All things have not continued since the day that God created all things. There was something called a flood in Noah's day. That was a little out of the ordinary. All flesh was destroyed except those on the ark. And so... Things have not continued since the beginning of creation. For this, and I'm just going to read the first part of verse 5. For this, they willingly are ignorant. Okay? There is, a, there is an ignorance. I say it all the time where I, you just don't know. I don't know the things that Federico knows or Dr. Dupuy knows about hearts and how that works. Uh, I'm ignorant about it. But it's not, it's not a sin. I'm, it's not a moral thing. But when people, these people are willingly ignorant, they could know the truth and they have rejected the truth. And so they stay in darkness, okay? They stay in darkness and that is a sin. That's an evil heart of unbelief. These are scoffers. Oh, yeah, you Christians talk about the rapture. Oh, it's going to happen today. I, you know, they mock and they ridicule and their movies made that ridicule and mock Christians' belief. And they make Christians look like buffoons, you know. And, but they're willingly ignorant. It is sinful, on their part, because the same grace of God that appeared to you has appeared to them. They could be saved if they chose to be. They could believe if they wanted to believe. They're not just blinded and in, in where it's out of their control. Then nobody would ever be saved. They're blinded. The, Satan has blinded the minds of them that believe not. That's what the scriptures say. So <coughs> the mockers say this, but what does God tell us? John chapter 14, I love it. We hear it all the times. I've used it hundreds of times at funerals in, in, in my life, and it's an encouragement. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
if it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and and uh, and, and how, how to get there, you know. I'm paraphrasing that part because I didn't memorize it. But uh, that's what the Lord says. The scoffers scoff. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Who are you going to believe? The scoffers? You're going to believe Jesus. Who are you going to believe? This world's getting darker and darker and darker and darker. Morally, spiritually, it is. It's getting darker before our eyes. We're seeing it get darker. Who are you going to believe? The lies of the devil? That there is no hope and so forth? Are you going to believe in Jesus Christ? Who says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come and receive you again to myself. That where I am, where is he? He's in heaven. So he's going to come back and receive me and bring me there with him. Hallelujah. That's where I want to go. I want to be there with him. Y'all turn with me. I quoted part of it, but look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Sleep, by the way, is always used in the New Testament for believers in the Lord, not unbelievers. Believers in the Lord, not unbelievers. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe that? I ask you straight up right now, do you believe that? You believe Jesus died or rose again? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has risen him from the dead, we shall be saved. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's no mention of dead people rising at the second coming. It's going to be a slaughter. The blood's going to be up the horse's bridle. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive shall and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, be afraid of this day. No, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comfort because it's for the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's for you and me. So not only are we to be prepared for his coming by being born again, okay, and serving God, we're also to be praying he comes quickly. This is something we should long for. I've heard some preachers say when the Lord raptures his church, a lot of people are going to be disappointed because it interfered with their plans. I pray that's not the case for you and for me. I pray that is our plan. Amen. That we're going to serve God until he comes and he's coming. And I'm ready for him to come today. That's how we need to be living. Amen. He's not going to interrupt our plans. We're going to be so joyful to see the Lord. First John chapter 3. I know we're turning to a lot. First John chapter 3. I want you to see this. It helps. And it helps these young people as well to, to turn to the scriptures and to see them. And it helps you learn your Bible better and where everything is. First John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 
All right, that's right now. And the, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we, sh we know that when he shall appear, again, this is not the second coming, this is the rapture. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every one man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is, is pure. I heard a wonderful thought, a theological thought, and I believe it's true. The blood of Christ cleanses us from sin. We know that. But the hope of his coming, the hope of his rapture, helps to purify the believer as well. Helps to purify our lifestyle and our conduct. Knowing that before I finish the next sentence, Jesus Christ may come back and rapture us and take us away. And we're going we're gonna to behold this uncreated face instantly without anybody between us and him. Just you and the Lord. We're going to see the Lord face to face. And any time to make amends or to repent of sins or I'll start witnessing tomorrow. I'll start telling people about Jesus next week. I'll start tithing a month from now. Uh, all that's going to be over and you won't have an opportunity. And we're going to see the Lord face to face. So there is a purifying effect in the life of the believer in a very real hope and belief that I'm going to be raptured and it's imminent. Amen? That it's imminent. So let's go back to Philippians. We'll cover this last verse very quickly. Uh, Philippians 3.21, <coughs> talking about Christ coming and we're looking for his, his appearing. <coughs> Here's what the Lord's going to do. At that time, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to even to subdue all things unto himself. <coughs> and so this is something, this is not the only thing, but this is a major thing, a big thing, a wonderful thing that is going to happen for every believer that Christ himself is going to do for the believer at the rapture. Dead in Christ are going to rise first. Your loved ones, your people that were truly saved and, and they've been buried and in the grave, they're going to rise first and probably just right on the heels of them. <coughs> Those that happen to be still living that are born again at that moment, we're going to meet them in the clouds. It says, be with the Lord. So there'll be no more separation. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another. What's going to take place at that time? What, besides being with the Lord, there's a lot of good blessings. And here's a huge one. He is going to change our vile bodies. Now, vile here, when I think of vile, I, mean, I think of just like something filthy and horrible or immoral. That's not really what the word means, means here. The word vile means uh, our, our, our body that's uh, of low estate or low degree or rank or position. You know, like the Lord's here morally and in every way in rank and position. Uh, the, the bodies that we have now are subject to, to the things of this temporal life, okay? So vile is what it means, is low estate or low degree. It's a body of humiliation is really what it is. That's how Jesus humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, right? He, he took on, the, became like sinful man. He wasn't a sinful man, but he took on the low estate in an earthly bodily form. And, and he, he humbled himself to do that. In Christ, we're already new creatures and new creations. The Bible tells us, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, right? 
but our bodies are still the same bodies that we had before we came to know Jesus. God heals them. He can cleanse them from things like alcohol or, you know, get things out of our system. And, but, but the body that we have now is still a body that wears down, breaks down, tears down, okay? And the, the Bible says that it, he's going to change our vile body that it may be, may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. The translation actually is like his body of glory, okay? Now, it doesn't mean if Jesus, you know, Jesus had a beard. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to have a beard or whatever. It's going to be like his body in the sense that he's, his is incorruptible. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. You say, well, Lazarus was raised from the dead. You know, Elijah and Eli Elijah raised people from the dead. But yeah, but they were raised in their same bodies and they later would die. Jesus was risen, the first one to, to rise from the dead. That's why he told Mary, don't touch me yet. Haven't yet ascended to my father. He, he went up and came back and appeared to his disciples on several occasions. But when he came back, they didn't even recognize him because he was in a different form, a different uh, body. And, it, and this corruption must put on incorruption, right? This mortal must put on immortality. Real quickly, keep your spot in Philippians 3, 1 Corinthians 15. This whole chapter, really from the beginning, it's a long chapter, deals with the resurrection and right into the glorified body and the rapture of the church. If you ever want a good study, the ones we've already looked at in 1 Corinthians 15, for our purposes, look at verse 44. He's answering the question, what, what, are we gonna, what kind of body are we going to be resurrected with? Verse 44, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. How about that? We think of spirit spiritual things a lot of times we have this concept that there's something spiritual it's just almost like a vapor and you can see through it kind of thing it says here there's a natural body that's this one and there is a spiritual body jesus said touch me handle me put your finger thrust your hand in my side thomas and be not faith faithless but believing he ate meat with them he said a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see me have what is he saying? It was a spiritual body. It was, and we are going to be raised. He says there is a natural, that's this one. There is a spiritual body. That's the one we're going to receive. Verse 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed that is the change he's talking about uh, primarily is our change to be conformed to his image and that would include our bodies we are going to receive a glorified body i got one more passage that i want to turn to one more passage i want to turn to in romans i always have to go there y'all bear with me romans chapter 8 read with me starting in verse 17 and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. See, if we're born again, we really are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We're going to be glorified with the Lord. It's going to be like his glory. It's not going to be some other kind of glory. Okay, there's a glory of the, the moon. There's a glory of the sun. There's a glory of a beautiful mountain range. There's a glory of the ocean. We're going to be glorified together with Christ. 
with that glory that surpasses all glory, okay? For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where? In us. I think this is all speaking about the same thing as in Philippians 3. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, not only creatures and and plant life and stuff like that that's under the curse of sin that's going to be renewed, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of what? Our bodies. Our souls have already been saved. The moment you said, I do to Christ, you're born again. You died, you're going to heaven. But do you still have this body? It is a limitation. It is a limitation. There's no doubt about it. God has an answer for that. When he raptures his church, he's going to change these vile bodies of low degree, and they're going to be fashioned like unto his body of glory is really what the translation means. And so just real, real quickly, um, when we see him, we'll be like him. That's going to be at the rapture, okay? And so just just very quickly, these current bodies are subject to some things. These current bodies that we have are subject to sin, and we do sin. These current bodies are subject to sickness. Anybody in here ever gotten sick? These current bodies are subject to pain. These current bodies are subject to scars, to wrinkles, to suffering, to death. But the eternal body that we're going to receive that's like his body is not subject to any of those things. We have to get a new body before we can enter that new Jerusalem. We have to get a new body before we can enter heaven or an eternal place. Because these bodies are not eternal. They just are not. You know that good and well. You know it just from experience. <coughs> and the word, word of God teaches us that. These current, current bodies are temporal. Amen. And I'll close with this thought. So when we get our glorified body, Romans 8, and here in Philippians 3, 21, the end of verse 21, if you're back in Philippians 3, the end of the verse, the end of the chapter, says we're going to have a body fashioned like his glorious body according to the working wherewith he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Who else could you say that about? I'm speaking about someone who can subdue all things unto himself. That's really an amazing thing. That is, that is our God that we serve. One day, he is going to subdue all things unto himself. That means to make subject. Things will be brought subordinate to him to obey, to bring under, to submit them, themselves to. Even, you know how it says in Philippians 2 that one day every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess doesn't mean they're all saved. But there's going to be a day when the worst of the worst, which I would say is me, okay, 
before coming to Christ, that the worst of the worst that dies in sin and unbelief, they're going to bow before the Lord. Their knee is going to bow before Christ. And they're going to say, you're Lord of all. The worst of the worst that you can think of, the biggest railer on Christ and Christianity that dies with a curse in their mouth and dies at that moment, one day is going to kneel before God and their tongue is going to confess your Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the Bible says. I want to confess him now. Amen. I want to be on his side and his team, part of his family, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He is able to subdue all things unto himself. The Bible says that in Revelation that uh, at the end of the millennium and everything in the last rebellion is put down and Satan is cast into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the beast already will be at that time. And, and then there's the second death, right, at the great white throne judgment. I, I never knew you. you. You depart from me, and they're going to go. They never came to Christ. Then who's left? It's like the final part. Who's left after all the rebellions put down and all the unbelief and all the unbelievers and all the sin is designated to this prison? All that's left is Jesus and those he's washed in his blood. The Bible says Christ will be all in all. The Bible says the kingdoms of this, this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. He's going to have it all. Don't think it's out of control. Don't think it's slipping away from the Lord because of what you see about abortion or churches being burned down or anything like that. He's got it where he wants it to be. And he is able to subdue all things unto himself. I'm closing with this. He is able to save The Bible says in Hebrews to the uttermost, then that come to him by faith. He's able to help them and succor them that come to him by faith. He's able to keep us from falling, it says in Jude, and present us before his father's throne faultless with joy. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And this is part of our glorious future, that we're going to be part of that family of God and the kingdom of God where everything is subject to Christ. Everything is subject to Christ. See, you can come. You couldn't say that. That couldn't be rightly spoken of anyone. I used to watch the superheroes when I was a little kid. Superheroes, the super friends that came on. You had Batman and Aquaman and this one could do this and this one could do this and this one specialized in flying and Superman could do a lot of... But who could you say it about... That say he's able to subdue all things unto himself. Only Jesus Christ. Even the haters, even the scoffers, even those that die in in unbelief and our evil heart of unbelief are going to be subdued under Christ and his authority. It's all in all going to be Christ. Amen. Y'all stand. Let's close tonight in prayer. I'd encourage you just to take a few moments. Just come to the altar. Lift your hands. Thank God. Praise him for his goodness. Thank him for his power. Thank him that we're going to receive a glorified body. And this ain't the last one we're going to have. Hallelujah. Come and worship the Lord just for a few moments and praise him. And ask God, say, I have not been hoping for your return like I should. I want to look for you. I want to look every day. When I wake up in the morning, I want to think, honestly, this is the day you might come back. And I want to live that way. God will help us. Father, we come.